I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Dr. Angus Tran, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Vietnamese background. Born here, born in Vietnam. So um, I, I was born in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Um, three brothers and sisters. Um, both parents are math teachers. So three brothers and three sisters? So three brothers and so three of us. Three, three of, of us. Okay. Um, elder sisters. My brother, which is actually co-founders of um, the business, Harrison. And then there's me, I'm the youngest one in the family. Uh, I came to Australia when I was about 16 years old and uh, gone through school and, and training and, and here I am. So your parents are math teachers? That's right. So both, both of them. Yeah, both of them. You know, they uh, they knew each other from from uh, universities, learning to be uh, math teachers, and uh, yeah, they they spend their whole life teaching uh, math, high school math to to students in Ho Chi Minh City. Because we're going to talk about artificial intelligence, and we're going to talk about machine learning, etc., which is what Harrison AI does. Yeah. But I just want to get made around um, the importance of maths. You know, because there's a bit of a, a fear factor out there about yeah. What is it? About maths, like, uh, like uh, <laughs> as opposed to it shouldn't be, but there is. Mm. You're a GP, by the way, aren't you? I was doctors by training. I uh, went to medical school in, yeah. in Australia, but, but never, I didn't specialize as a GP yet. No. So I'm a generalist at the moment. But you have a doctor's degree. It's not a PhD. It's a doctor's degree as a medical doctor. Yes, that's an MD degree yeah, at the University of New South Wales. University, University of mm. yeah, yeah. Great institution, I should say. Um I know you went there. Yeah, great institution. <laughs> but it, irrespective of that, mm. you, you might have done a bit of maths in, in that course, but it's not a heavy maths mm. degree. Did you do maths all the way along? Were you always sort of interested in mathematical concepts? Or? Yeah. I mean, growing up in, in, in a family of two math teachers, I was you know exposed to to a lot of math training when I was young in, in Vietnam. I also went to um, you know selective school class that is specifically around uh, more advanced math than, than most other kid was doing. Um, and my father, of course, um, you know, he, he's an innovator. Uh, so he was uh, caught on to computer science really early. And, and there's a big intersection between mathematic and algorithmic design in, in computer science. So he introduced programming as a subject to high school kids in, in Vietnam. So growing up, I always uh, been exposed to that. And, you know, we had one of the first early personal computers in in the city our our uncle from France shipped it to us and uh, you know growing up I remember writing an algorithms with with my dad to to create a piece of sound that would trigger my my dog at the time to do certain command but there's a frequency that the the, the human couldn't hear so I would program my dog if you like with certain sound signal that get it to do things so I always had inclination to to technology 
in medicine, we, we didn't learn a lot about, you know, math or, or computer science, but I had an interest on the side. Um, and, you know, it's such a fast advancing field that, you know, you, by the time you learn it at university, you're probably, you know, a, a bit dated in terms of, of what you need to know, right, to build stuff like AI technology. Uh, so really, when I was in med school, I, I, I caught on to that and went online and, and did online courses to, to, to learn more about AI and machine learning. And it's a really basis to start the business. Let's just unpack that a little bit. Uh, algorithms as opposed to coding. Mm. Let's just look coding aside for a moment. Yeah. Algorithm, a lot of people get a bit weird because it's a weird word. But by the way, it's a heavily used word today, but it's, yeah. it is a weird word. No one really yeah. knows what it means. Let's look at that algorithm you built when you were younger. Mm. Can you just go through how you built that? I mean, the, the simplest way to think about it is like a, a system that has some sort of inputs, right? And then there's an output and, and that's, you, you specify what you want it to do. Um, so in, in the case when I was very young, actually, I was in primary school then, you want to specify that um, you want a dog to sit when certain sound is played. Um, so and, what are the inputs? Yeah, so the input would be a, a keystroke that you want to press that would command the software to produce a sound um, and the dog would listen to that sound and, and it would know to sit because you've trained it and you, you rewarded it for that piece. Um, so that's a very simple version of it, right? And uh, up to a very complex version of it, which is now what we're working on, where the input is an, a chest X-ray or a CT of the brain. Um, and what you're trying to predict is whether or not the patient has uh, or conditions or not, or is that cancers or infections. So the input is the images and the output is the diagnosis or the suggestions of a diagnosis. So it's just various degree of complexity, but at the core of it, um, there's a piece of work that you want to do and, and there's a, that's highly scalable, right? That's not needed. Um, it's amazing because human, we, we have a, a very um, advanced algorithm, which is our brain, um, meaning that through our training, through our decades worth of experience, we can take certain stimulus inputs and produce output based on our own experience. But that's completely unscalable because it takes a long time to, to, to grow a human being and to train them, to give them the specialization that they need. Um, so I've always been fascinated by the concept of, you know, getting work done when I was sleeping, uh, distilling the knowledge into these solutions, these algorithms, um, and then get that to scale the expertise, right, the capabilities beyond what the human can achieve, you know, within their lifetime or, or, or not, not, and, and with a lot of experience and training. It's interesting um, what Harrison AI does is um, can do things at scale and it can actually right. learn from um, more outputs, mm -hmm. therefore recognize more inputs and then just keep building. Okay. But we'll, we'll get back to that in a second. It's interesting that we as humans um, are making judgments all day long. Mm. making deductions yes. about something all day long based on things that are input through our eyes, taste, smell, feel. They're the inputs coming into us so and they stimulate certain things in our brain. Yeah. Then the algorithm in our brain, which is a formula or recipe that's been built up over either through the evolutionary process, yeah. which is genetically there or alternatively just through our experiences or maybe what we've learned, mm. um, results in an output or a, an action. So, you know, um, I see the light say walk. The algorithm says, Mark, you walk. Move, move your legs, walk, okay? <laughs> That's what an algorithm is. Exactly. But we do this instinctively. Mm. It just happens. But what you do is you reduce that to something on a piece of paper. Mm. So 
not a piece of paper. <laughs> it's in code. Piece of code. You know, but piece but it, of could, it could start from a bit of paper yeah. though first. I mean, right. you might just draw it up. What, how do you start it off? I mean, how do you start off? Yeah, I mean, obviously where, where it starts is, you know, it's the problem, right? What problem were you looking to solve? So if you take a, a simple example, which is something I, I built when I was in in medical school, this AI algorithm that helps select human embryos. The input was, you know, these time-lapse videos of embryos. So when when couples go and get their IVF treatment, they end up with 20 little embryos that they need to assess. 20 photos. 20, 20 oh, uh, time-lapse videos. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, okay. yeah that's yeah. right. Um, and the, the output is whether or not the embryo are going to create a baby or not, right? Because not all of these embryos is going to succeed when you, you implant that back to the patient. Uh, so you, you start there, right? What is the problem you're looking to solve? What is the input and what is the output? Um, and then you go and, and, and find the, the latest techniques, right? On, on what needs to happen in between to create that. Uh, one of the advantage of, of the AI technology recently is that instead of hard coding the rules, right? Where you interview an expert, if you like, um, ask them to write down on papers what make their brain ticks, you know, what are the instructions? What are the explicit rules? Well, they become rules. Yeah, they you you create data set, right? Yep. So you create a large database of hundreds and thousands of embryos and the the eventual outcome of each of that embryos. And uh, the advance of AI recently is you can have algorithm that learn from that data and distill that into um, into a, a a set of instruction, if you like, that um, you don't need anyone to write down the rules anymore. In fact, it discover those rules for itself just based on the data. Uh, so that's what really made this home feel explode recently uh, because you had the potential to go beyond what the human expert knows, right? And really discover that insight from the data itself. So that's um, that's the, the modern versions of the algorithms, right? Comparing to what I did when I was young, when I was a kid, where I need to specifically specify the frequency of the sound, the, the keystroke and what needs to happen there. Whereas in the new world, you just need really um, good data set that explain the, the problem and specifying that well. In terms of getting the data, mm. I think it's probably important that we should explain ethics and, um, you know, yeah, ethic approvals and those processes mm. because a lot of the stuff comes out of hospitals, for example. A- absolutely not, right? And, and the way that, you know, there's different, different, different angles to this. So there's the ethical approval process because all of these are scientific research. So that require, you know, an ethic board to to provide an approval that this meet all the ethical requirements um, set by, you know, the ethical standards of using this data for scientific research, which is what it really is. Uh, and then also the the protections of the privacy of the patient. So these data are all anonymized and de-identified. Yeah, I think you better explain what anonymized and de-identified is yeah. because it's not just they're, they're words, I get that, but you actually strip out of the the um, place where all the information is stored, any reference back to the particular individual. Correct. Yeah. So anonymize is you, by looking at the data, you couldn't tell who it is and the identify mean that, you know, even if you're trying to piece multiple data point together, it's impossible to re-identifying the patient. So for example, anonymization may mean you strip out the name, the date of birth, the postcode. Um, male or female. Male or female, the gender. Depending on what it is. Um, and you really just reduce that down to the minimum data point that you need to to create this solution which benefit patients. So does it get allocated a number? Like is yeah, it, so you you get a ge- random generic uh, number. generator. So you, you're really just treating that as an images of an embryo rather yep. than 
uh, Angus uh, embryos from yeah, yeah. 2022. Um, and then there's sophisticated process to make sure that, you know, even with sophisticated re-engineering, you couldn't piece it together. So for example, if you have different time during a year and someone uh, who, who engaged a service on July, September and December, you can kind of piece together that even if you don't know the name, you could guess. So there's sophisticated process to shift the date and time such that you couldn't even re-engineer back who it is, even if you try. And there's a lot of good standards set out in Australia on how to do this and doing this well and ethically. And, you know, obviously a big part of what we do is to make sure that we comply with that and at the very cutting edge of, of protections of both the privacy for the patient and meeting the ethical standard requirement. So just on that, um, do they do they employ blockchain technology to do, distribute the data so that it's not really not possible for anyone to even get the data to re-engineer it as opposed to making it difficult to re-engineer, just distri- redistribute the data? Yeah, we, we, we don't use that um, blockchain technology at the moment, right? So at the moment it's, it's based on, you know, sophisticated encryptions um, and, you know, this kind of genome data, uh, random data generation process to to protect that. And obviously we keep that in, in a secure way to um, comply with all the ethical approval. But it, it's stored in a data center in a server somewhere. Yeah, that's right. I think blockchain is like a really slow database, right? So, you know, these data set are quite large. So it's, it's not practical currently to to send, you know, a CT scan into the blockchain. Um, but, you know, I think the, the also the, the key is that, you know, when, when you use this data set, you need to be highly accessible in, in one place. Uh, so the it's just not a, a, a good use of that technology currently, but I'm sure that that feel is moving fast. Maybe things change in the future. Yeah, I mean, I guess where they, they can store NFTs and blockchain. <laughs> yeah. So like, I guess they probably could work something around the images, but I mean, mind you, you're probably processing millions of images in. With millions of images yeah um and and that's really what's the power behind um these uh, advance in in medicine which is you can rather than having one or two clinicians who take a long time to train um, assess and images you can create this large database and distill insight from that and then from then this algorithm will will scale those predictions it will scale those insights um, and that's what got me really excited about the feel, you know, when I was training to be a doctor is that the scalability of it is really incredible. For diagnostic purposes. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So if I just um, go back a step, here you are doing some courses online, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then you're doing your medical degree. Then what happens? Did you, just, what, did you immediately go into <laughs> this venture or? Yeah, that's right. I mean, maybe I can t- take you back a bit in a bit of a story here. And um, So if you take me back into uh, fourth year medical school, um, I was, um, and every year I would go back to Vietnam because my family was still living in Ho Chi Minh City. Um, and every year I would do my medical training. There's the holidays. I would go back and spend a couple of months in hospital in Ho Chi Minh City uh, because, you know, I was quite eager to, to see what the difference is between the medicine I was learning in Australia and on the ground. So if I take you back on that year, I went back and I, I attend um, a, a heart hospital in Ho Chi Minh City. And I was very interested in cardiology, which is the medicine of the heart. Um, so I did a placement there. And, you know, when, when I first started medicine, I had these visions of medicine being like Dr. House or Grey Anatomy uh-huh. or the good doctors, you know, show that your know, everyday Australian would know of this kind of medical diagnosis and mystery, right? You know, almost like Sherlock Holmes, right? Detective. So I was there, you know, being all smug about my, my, my knowledge of cardiology that I've just studied. Um, trying to diagnose on a patient and walk through the emergency room. 
And one of the doctors there, you know, kind of tap me on the shoulder and say, Angus, you're dummy. Like, it's really obvious what this patient have. Like, this is not a mystery. The problem is this patient don't, couldn't afford care. So they was here by the time their complications come in. So people represented with very severe heart failures, right? End stage, because they live really far away. They couldn't afford doctors. So by the time they're here, it's not a mystery, right? You need to be able to look after them in an affordable and scalable way. Um, and that's the moment it hits me when I realized that the world don't need another brilliant doctor house, right? Um, it's not about doing these things that are brilliant. It's about doing the very simple thing and but doing it really efficiently and at scale. So that completely changed my mindset. You know, the last two year medical training for me is very different where I start thinking about how do I do this differently? And there wasn't a lot of options because the medical um, career is very, you know, fixed. You kind of have your specialist training and then you become a consultant and then you start your private practice. It was very fixed. It's so very formulaic. That's right. You know, it's very, you know, there's a ladder that you it's climb. It's an algorithm. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, and it wasn't very obvious on, on what I could do. Um, and so that's why I, I went and, and studied about AI, you know, and I was quite fascinated by that technology. And, you know, I realized that that is the missing piece that I needed, right? Which is how do I take what I was learning um, and and the problem I see in the ground, which is a scale problem, not a scientific discovery problem, and marry that together in into a solution. And the obvious answer to that is to start a business and uh, and and build great AI solution, put that in the hands of clinicians, and scale the work that they do. So that's how I, I take the leap from just about to become a cardiologist, hopefully, um, into starting Harrison AI. And then where does your brother come in? So my brother, um, at the time, he was working um, at the uh, at Ramsey uh, Healthcare, which is a great Australian success uh, story on its own, uh, and head of innovation there. Um, and you know, I was a medical and, and, and AI mind. I needed a business mind, uh, someone who uh, who partner with. So I said, hey, Dimitri, which is my brother, Dimitri Tran, why don't you quit your job at Ramsey and come do this thing with me? And I don't know why he, he agreed to that, but yeah, he came and joined. So he's actually employee number two. We hired someone first and then Dimitri came. Um, we moved into a two-desk office in um, the innovation centers at Barangaroo. It's called a Harbour City Lab now, I think. And then we start the business from there. It's just the two brothers. And what's his area of expertise? Yeah, so Dimitri is uh, bring the, the medical strategy mind. Um, and knowledge of um, healthcare and hospital, but from a business lens, right? So from uh, the, the economic of healthcare, um, the economic of running healthcare businesses um, and the, the strategy component of, um, of how we, we can put the business together and build a solution and take it to market. So that's where, you know, he came, you know, brought in some of the early day thinking around the Harrison AI model. He's your older brother? He's my older brother. There's eight years between us. Eight years, wow. And, and then, because you're not working as a GP, yeah. he's left Ramsey. So how did you fund it? Um, so at first, you know, early days, we, we were just funding it out of our own money. Um, I actually had a, a, a startup that I built when I was in, in medical school, second year. And we had a bit of cash from that uh, when we finished up in the business. Dimitri, you know, take some money out of his mortgage and we bought our first computers for Harrison, the, the first supercomputers that we we bought to, to help kickstart it all. We were going just on our own money for a little while. Um, and then in 2019, we, 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 we brought in uh, venture capital money. Uh, so um, Blackbird, which is an Australian fund, was um, a part of our first round. 
Um, we also have Horizon Ventures, which is a Hong Kong based at the time uh, venture capital fund, and then uh, Skip Capital, which is a family office of of Kim and Scott uh, from Malaysian. And so the the early days of Harrison was funded by venture capital um, piece. You bought your first supercomputer. Yeah. You just skimmed over that. Yeah. Uh, give me an insight what a supercomputer is. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not so different to, you know, your your everyday computer that sits on your desk or even in the studio. You probably have very powerful machines, right? Um, and these are just that but just on steroids, right? They, they just have much more compute power. They have much more memories. Um, so really you just take your MacBook Pro and you times that by 10 or by 100 in a single unit. Um, and that's what's what a supercomputer is. Um, and the reason why you need that um, in, in this line of work is because a lot of computations required to, to build and, and train these algorithms, right, to teach it. Um, and if you have a fast computer, that, that price is much faster. So um, when, when we first started, we bought a lot of consumer parts, right, just your GPU, your CPU, your, your cooling fan that you could buy in any computer shop. Um, and put together a box. There's an image of it actually in, used to be on our website of, of that box. Uh, we call it the Harrison One. Um, I remember Dimitri face when I, I sent him uh, a part list. I said, I want to build a supercomputer to do AI research for Harrison. And I said, okay, like, you know, we, we fund it together and take some money uh, from personal money to build it. And I sent him the, the build, the invoice, and it's full of gaming parts. So that's like, you know, Republic of Gamers, you know, it was Intel gaming, a cooling fan, because that that's the cheapest that you can buy, right? Consumer parts. Um, and those are the ingredients that you need to build these computers and, and use it for AI development and training. How did you know how to build a supercomputer or cobble together yeah. um, parts that gamers might be using? Um, yeah. to, how did you know this stuff? I mean, just YouTube? How did you find it Yeah, I mean, it YouTube is an amazing place, right? And um, wh- whatever you want to learn these days, you can learn online and there's a niche corner of the internet that will have someone who teach you about it. Um, and what is really powerful for me is that I always believe in, in learning uh, based on a project, right? So there's something that I would like to achieve, which at the time was building an AI to classify human embryos. Um, and then I just go down a rabbit hole on everything that you require to achieve the goal. And I always find that really accelerate the learning rather than, you know, doing a course on on computer building because then there's no objective, there's no goals. But when you see so clearly what you want to achieve, then anything in your place, an obstacle is an opportunity to learn. And, and you know, I just go down a big rabbit hole about computer parts and and supercomputing um, building and and yeah that's that's what that's how I got into it right which might be strange for doctors to to go and, and build this piece and building AI but yeah I, I had a goal in mind I wanted to achieve and and that what drive me I'm gonna go to the break I'm gonna come back I want to actually talk to you about this rabbit hole or, or or the the lifestyle that people who start these things off yeah experience because it's it can be a bit weird mm. you know like up to two three in the morning and yeah. then doing stuff you know like it's a bit of a weird lifestyle because i've experienced it yeah um in my life um these rabbit holes because that, that's a big deal yeah and uh it's quite sp- special in terms of the mindset yeah. of what you need to do to achieve say in your case what you've achieved let's go to the break we come straight back sure Hey. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, we're back. I'm dying to know a bit of an exploration for me about mindset of people like yourself mm. you've decided you want to build your own supercomputer you can't afford to buy a proper one like a you know a, the one that university one. would have yeah, yeah. yeah. you know th- these things are pretty expensive you know why you want the supercomputer because you're going to have a lot of computations that need to be made at a fast possible speed so you you decide you're going to cobble together one you're a, a medical uh, qualified doctor um but you know, this is not your area of expertise. You're not a computational scientist. You're not a, etc. You're not an engineer. Um, you didn't do, you know, electrical engineering at uni or something like that. And uh, you decide to learn for yourself. Mm. I want to actually understand the mindset of someone like you. How do you manage to learn these things on YouTube and then go off and buy these things without making too many mistakes? Or did you make mistakes? I mean, and what what is it when you when it's really fucking confusing and yeah. like? <laughs> Hang on, here's an area I never studied before. Like, yeah. I better go and look at that. Well, I mean, what 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 I keep coming back to is 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 very compelling goals, right? So, when I was going through this process at the time, I, I had a, a a vision in mind that I wanted to build an algorithm that help uh, couples who's looking to get pregnant um, select the best possible embryo and get pregnant as soon as possible from from the twenty or so embryos that they've got as a result of the IVF. That's right. Or that one session or that yeah, one that, that's one that's one treatment cycle. Yep. They have twenty. Yep. There's the time lapse videos of each of the twenties. There need to be a piece of software that decide which one is the best one. Yeah. So I, that that really is the kind of like the north star for me, right? And then. Um, that's how I, I keep the focus and, and it's not distracted because when I was learning about AI um, online through courses online, I was learning it for that purpose. When I learned how to build computers because the, the algorithm was taking too long to run. So I need to build computers to make that process faster. Your computers were taking too long, your current computer, the one, not the one you built, the one you that's bought. That's right, the, the laptop to was taking the... too long. Yeah. So we, the solution for that is a bigger computer. Um, and then from there, you know, I think that that's how you keep the the focus through this learning process and stop you from getting distracted as if you like, because all you, everything I was working toward was to achieve this singular goal, um, including starting Harrison, right? So Harrison was uh, a means to uh, uh, accumulate resources and talents, right? Even um, the building that solution was taking too long because it was limited by my own, you know, 24 hours a day, totally. right? So 
building Harrison as a business and you know recruiting these people and we're growing to 200 people now is all to achieve that very same thing so that's how you know it, it maybe sounds like a lot of like different skill set and expertise but I never see those as uh, distraction I see those as necessary understanding um, and I think you mentioned about you know um, engineers or, or medical doctors and one of my pet peeves is that you know there's no such thing as a doctors there's there's people who are medically trained, right? They have a skill set and understanding of medicine. There's no engineer. There's just people who know the engineering process and they can do that. Um, and sometimes when you put some of these pieces together, right? Entrepreneurship, engineering, medicine, that's when you create some of the best stuff. Um, and, um, and, and that's how, you know, um, I think your question was, how do I not getting this sidebar, right? Because if, if it was not, serving this kind of goal then then it is a sidebar and it kind of stop <laughs> because you don't yeah. want to fall into alice in wonderland yeah that's you know, right that, you know <laughs> then you get completely distracted by what the what the hell's going on didn't it in in the, in the very beginning um you know it was a very small team you know there's there's a handful of us so um there's not a lot of other engineers so i, I was doing a lot uh, by myself early days but we grow very quickly so that changed very rapidly um, our, our whole engineering team is based in Australia, um, in Sydney actually, and then only recently we start growing to other states. So we haven't really worked with overseas engineers too much. We have a few, um, but I think the, um, the 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 general piece for me is that you know, as if if your vision requires some piece of technology or core knowledge, is very important that as leader of that business you at least have a very uh, detailed working knowledge of what you're looking to build even if that means you need to bring in people to help. Uh, because, you know, I think there's, um, because the innovation comes from collisions of different ideas, right? And if you don't fully understand the, the the problem space, the technology, then some of those ideas may not come about. Uh, so even though now I don't, I do very little programming and coding, um, I'm still, you know, very much close to it because I do believe that that's where, you know, some of the growth in the business will come from is the understanding of, of, of the problem space, which is medicine and the technology, which is AI. Did you teach yourself um, coding languages like Python, et cetera? Did you have yeah, to that's right. That? Yeah, so I, I, part of the, you know, different rap, um, Alice in Wonderland, right? So Alice in Wonderland, there was a Python couple of weeks where, you know, do a big deep dive in that. And then there's a algorithmic design course, there's computer parts. Um, so there's this different piece, but um, because I was, facing some kind of stumble block, right? It's like I, I couldn't progress because I don't have this skill or I don't have knowledge of it. Um, and and then that's kind of how it started early days. But now we get to a stage where the problem is we need more people who who knows that even better than I do, yeah, right? Yeah. Bring in. Deep. Yeah, deep deep specialists. Um, but I, I feel like I get at least a, the, the broad level understanding on everything and, and be able to piece that together. What, what would you say – in your field, it's medical, obviously, yeah, but it's also um, scale, mm. scale solutions. What would you say is the minimum to run Harrison AI? I mean, like, I'll give a really simple example. If I'm opening up a restaurant, a Japanese restaurant, there's no point in me going hiring a Japanese chef. I better know about Japanese cooking myself, right down to the Japanese knives that they perhaps need to use, where to source the best uh, salmon or whatever it is we're going to put up on our menu. My view is I would need to at least have some experience in that, not just knowledge, some experience as well, um, in order for me to go hire the Japanese chef because I don't know who I'm hiring. I don't know what I don't know. So like I could end up with the wrong person. But also if my business needs to be successful, I need to know about at least about what the output's going to be because I might want to talk about it to my customer 
or I might definitely want to talk to my chef about it and I want to make sure I've got the right pricing, et cetera. What are the minimums for, say, someone that you're in your business? I think um, I, I keep I keep telling the team is that we're in the business of healthcare. So um, even though we're building cutting-edge tech, um, you know, actually blast us over, you know, our, our even lanyard or, 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 or posters is the word that we're here to impact a million life um, a day. That's your goal. That's the goal. Um, to and 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 that's patience on the other end, right? So at the minimum, people need to have some appreciations of the healthcare system and and the realization that we're here building technology that impact patients' life. Um, and then from there, right? Depending on what you're there for, you have different specialties area. So uh, an AI engineer may bring you know the AI engineering mind to it. Um, the medical device guys will will bring regulations and research mind to it. Um, and the marketing team will will bring in their skill set from on how to best communicate this to doctors and patients. Uh, but everyone is united by that goal of of touching a million patients' life per day, recurrent. Meaning that the recurrent part is important because in medicine you touch a million life a year. Then next year you need to do it all over again. You start in zero <laughs> at the beginning of every year. But with AI, right? Because it's software. Is recurrent. Next, you don't need to do the work quote unquote again. Um, and then the other skill set, which I think is really important as well, is this um, this ability to uh, understand how the technology is going to fit in into the workflow of a doctor's. Uh, because you know these algorithms is no use if if people couldn't use it. Um, and therefore, you know, we have a lot of focus in our team on speaking to doctors and uh, speaking to people who are users of this technology. Education. That's right, um, and then getting them, you know, across that because usually people come in from all sort of other areas, right? Like, um, you know, fintech and um, you know, property tech, uh, but they they bring, you know, like for example, Python skill set, but they they need to know how it's going to be applied. So I think that's at least the minimum. So where do you go to learn more about artificial intelligence? What is otherwise known as AI? So I think the the best way to learn about AI these days is is, is to do a course online, right? So I, I would I would advise that uh, pick pick a problem, uh, something that excites you, something that pulls you, um, and then go online and find the, the latest course on machine learning and AI. And there's really good material these days. You know, I, my first course was in Udemy, um, and I did a course on Coursera, um, and there's a lot of information there. It's such a fast moving field that I feel like. Uh, doing a course at university, especially if you're already working and you're already an engineer or you're thinking become an engineer, that that, that the field might move on too quickly. Uh, so I, I was that that what I would suggest is is to find uh, online resources and follow from there. Uh, but have to have a project, have to have a, a a piece of technology you're looking to build because there's just too much to learn in AI, um, and you might get drowned very quickly on 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 the detail. Uh, but if you have something that inspire you and and excite you as a product. That that will you know motivate you a lot more to to learn more about it. So Harrison AI today, where are you at with Harrison? Give, give me a thumbnail sketch of where you're at today, and because yeah. I wanted to gonna ask you where your applications. Yeah, where what are you looking at? Yeah, so uh, Harrison, we um, so far raised about 156 million Aussie dollars. Um, that's in, recently um, in combination as part of a Series B, um, and um, our Harrison model is to build businesses. So Harrison. Um, has different ventures um, in partnership with great healthcare uh, company in Australia like IMED and Sonic Healthcare. Uh, so we have a, an arm of the business called Analyze AI, which work on 
image, uh, AI for radiologists, so medical imaging, your yep. chest X-ray, your CT. And we recently launched another arm called Franklin AI, which is a ventures in pathology, so in biopsy and, and microscopic testing. Uh, so that's where we are. We have two business and, and capital raise at Harrison. Uh, in terms of the team, so if you combine you know, all of the team members across Harrison, Annalise, and Franklin, we north of 200 uh, employees across the world. Um, um, most of them are here in Australia. There's some of them in Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh City, um, and overseas as well. We're growing present in the US and Europe. Um, in terms of the, the product, um, the Annalise uh, Ventures in the field of medical imaging has two products. One is looking at the chest X-ray, which is X-ray images of the, the chest here, um, and CT brain, which is uh, cross-sectional images of the, the brain, which is done when people have a head trauma or, or brain tumors or, or, MRI, or bleeds. Though. It's CT. So it's CT. It's, yeah, it's not MRI. Can you explain the difference between MRI and CT then? Uh, so, so with ch- uh, CT, you use radiation um, to penetrate through the, the tissues and get images from that. MRI, you use a magnetic field, right? So you you put a magnet you know, near the head and then you excite a neuron and that create images. It gives you a different, uh, different view of the brain. Um, MRI tend to be more expensive, harder to do. CT is your brain butter, right? Uh, it's very common. Uh, if someone you know, fall and hit their head, maybe, um, they probably end up with a CT brain. So brain and chest? Yes. So we have two, two products. Um, they are like a spell checkers for radiologists. Uh, so radiologists would read this scan and then they can run those scan through the algorithm. The input is the images. The output is uh, over 100 different diagnoses of findings. Um, and just like when you write an email, you have a spell check to make yep. sure there's no silly mistake. Uh, the AI is a second pair of eye for the radiologist. Make sure they don't miss critical diagnosis. And that applied to the chest X-ray and the CT brain. So. And if I could just go back to the work that the supercomputers were doing, yeah, is that when the when this when the radiologist takes the the images yep. and then inputs it into the into the software, mm. um, the algorithm actually looks at all the people you've looked at forever. Mm. That's like right, ever since day Big one. Big database, yeah. Big database, and then off the back of that, it can predict outcomes as a result of what or diagnosis or help the radiologist come up with a reading of of the CT scan. Yeah. Correct. Is that what we're talking about? Exactly. And every time you the radiologist inputs it, that input stays in the system. Yeah. And then that information then somehow gets de-identified, but also that forms part of the the population of data that sits in the learning, the machine learning. So at the moment we don't do continuous learning, so the system don't don't change. Right. We have a a big database. So um, for the chest X-ray, for example, we have created a data set of um, about seven hundred fifty thousand chest X-ray, which is a large uh, database. Each of these X-ray was labeled uh, by by doctors, so some some radiologists have to go in and say this chest X-ray have finding A, B, and C. There's infections, there rib fractures, uh, there's um, you know um, enlargement of the heart, for example, um, and they annotate this data set for you know millions of of, of labels. Um, it's actually take about hundred thousand hours uh, worth of labor for doctors, of other people's labor of of doctors to yeah. to create this data set. Yeah. And then once we have that, we train an algorithm and distill that into what we call an AI model. Um, and that doesn't then need to be retrained, um, at least not continuously as you described. Right, you don't um, continuously yeah. update it, so to speak. Exactly. And, and for the radiologists, um, this is uh, game-changing uh, for a couple of reasons. So imagine an everyday Australian who who get a chest X-ray as part of the health check, um, you know, either for visa applications or other reason. At the moment, because of the capacity shortage, 
there's it takes 14 years to train a radiologist and there's annual growth of the chest x-ray volume and what that means is there's a growing gap between the capacity to read the x-ray and the volume of chest x-ray so for everyday australian what that means is that you face anxious weight the weight is just getting longer um, and during that time you you kind of anxious you don't know what's going to happen or uh, the doctors is working much faster. So in the past, people used to five five minutes to read a chest X-ray. Now it's in twenty of seconds. So imagine you know you you work ten times as fast as you used to do. Uh, so that introduced possibility for errors. So the the way that the game algorithm will help with this is number one, it's a it's a spell checker, right? It's a second pair of eye. If you're tired, you're in the middle of the night, you just have a big burrito and and you're kind of sleepy. Right, the AI will catch any kind of critical mistake, which could be life-changing or life-friending for the patient. Um, and then the second piece is it doesn't sleep, right? Um, so at night when there's no radiologist coverage or in a rural region of Australia where there's no radiologist, instead of waiting for that scan to be sent to other places, potentially days later or weeks later, the AI can read it. And, and if there's a critical findings, it will inform the doctors right away. So the critical findings are, are more likely to be exceptions. Yeah, or, or, or life trending. Yeah. Are they exceptions? And does, does that get then forwarded onto a radiologist before the diagnosis is made? Does, does Yeah, that's right. So today, you know, if you go to a rural region and get a chest X-ray, you won't get the result until maybe a week or two later because X-ray need to be sent somewhere else yep. where there is radiologist. They'll read that. And then the result is sent back, right? So if there's a lung cancer, for example, you won't know until weeks later. Um, and as the volume increase, that long lead time will increase further. And, and I'm sure you would agree with me that, you know, people want to know, right? Totally. So what does Harrison AI then do? So Harrison AI's software will actually read that immediately. Yeah, because it's software and, and it can read infinitely scalable. It can read overnight. It will pre-read on this X-ray, and if there's things like cancer or infections or any critical illnesses, it will immediately flag this case as high priority. Yeah, meaning that that you you skip the queue, right? You go to the front of the queue, get the diagnosis right away, and get treated. And for the majority of patients, this these scans will be normal, which means that they're probably all right <laughs> to wait a few weeks without any you know real consequences there. So when when there's uh, lower supply than there is demand you want to prioritize that supply to the most critical illness, right? Because then you increase the effective capacity of the healthcare system. In terms of CT scans of the brain, yeah. what are you looking for there? So the CT scan piece is something that we just spent a year and a half building. Very proud of the team at, at Annalise to, to achieve that. But it looked at 130 different things. So that including stroke, um, brain bleeds, uh, brain uh, skull fractures, brain tumors, increased pressure in the brain. So because the brain is a sensitive thing, anything to do with the brain is critical. <laughs> yep. um, so it, it, it does the same thing. It look at the CT scan immediately the moment that you take the pictures. Can I, I always like say radiology is like Instagram. <laughs> Accept the images. It's much more expensive to acquire and there's consequences with the radiation. But it looks at that and attacks it with 130 different yes, no answer really. Is there stroke? Is there fracture? Is there bleeds? And then that present to the, the treating doctors at the emergency room or or the radiologist. And if there's a critical finding like a stroke, like a pleat, you you get to the top of the line right away and get the care you need. And what that means is, you know, Australians are not waiting in the ED room for their result only to know like four hours later that there was a critical finding that should have been attended to. How quickly does the emergency doctor know this? 
So in the past, right, they, they used to wait, um, you know, an hour or, or so, right, for a radiologist to get to the case. Yeah. And without that, they just couldn't know uh, what's going on. With Annalise, um, the algorithm runs within minutes, right? So within a few minutes of you um, leaving the scanning table, probably even before you put the clothes back on, <laughs> the result is already available for the clinician. And they can immediately decide if this is an urgent case and need attention to or not. Um, and suddenly also overnight, you know, when people are fatigued, they're tired, they can make mistakes. These are human. The, the neural network here is the human brain, right? They can make mistakes. And when the mistake can be devastating sometimes. So um, I have a story of a, of a clinicians who, who have a CT brain of a patient who come in. Um, they decide that it was normal. They send the patient home because the CT scan looked normal. This is a patient who, who, who got drunk and fall and hit their head on the a pavement. And days later, the patient represented with significant complication of that and eventually passed away. Um, and, and this is a tragic story, right? Really tell us that, you know, getting things right in medicine is, is life-changing for people. Wow. I mean, I, I, I just think regional areas in particular. Like, yeah. uh, we know, there are a lot of accidents in these places and they don't have access to um, radiologists. That's right. Like you do, say, down the road at St. Vincent's or something like that. Yeah. There'd be one on call 24 hours a day. Mm. But I, I can see the application. How hard has it been to train, <laughs> I guess, the clinicians? Mm. I mean, because you know, you've got to speak a certain language. Yeah. Um, you've got to take them through the process, training them how to use the yeah, system. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, why it's important for a start? Yeah. I think in the early days, you know, people uh, like any new technology are quite understandably quite skeptical, right, on on what this means and and what what we would do to their professions and and their day to day practice. Uh, but now the the tool is being used by one in every four Australian radiologists. Um, so that's that's a substantial proportion of the professions, um, and once people see it, they realize that you know why wouldn't you use it? I actually hear that all the time, because you it's like wearing a seatbelt, right? Um, why wouldn't you put on a seatbelt when when you're making such critical decisions for patients? Um, and everyone is aware of their humanity, right? The fact that they can make mistake and the fact that they wouldn't be available all the time. Um, everyone who used the tool so far after a couple of weeks all have a story of a near miss experience. So um, a, doc- a doctor told me the other day that he was got back from a, a shift at the hospital and start the, the second day of work, if you like, from home, uh, reading this scan at, at home. And he realized that Annalise has come up and flagged that there is a bleed in the brain that he didn't originally see. Um, and he he said that I would have totally missed that, and that would have been a very bad news for this patient subsequently. So in that very moment, he knows that this technology is a safety net, is a partner uh, for him in order to do the work more effectively and safely. So once people realize that, I think the adoptions and the enthusiasm has really grown. And and I hear story on a time on how this can be used, you know, like in rural region overnight when there is no coverage. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're in the medical profession because we want to help people and we want to get it right and we want to live a good healthcare. And, and a lot of people are on board with that. Angus, do you have a question for me? Um, I'm quite curious to know, um, you know, you, you work on many things in, in your career. What's next for, for, for you? For me? Well, to be honest, yeah, like uh, uh, there is no what's next um, for me right now. I, I'm probably really keen. I'm going to have a few little side ventures. I've always got side ventures. Um, I've got one in gaming, um, which is um, uh, and betting, betting on gaming um, and gaming itself um, for gamers. I'm talking about. 
Um, I'm doing that venture with a particular individual. Um, I'm doing it lots of little things like, uh, you know, I'm developing my own protein shake for people over 50. Because oh, wow. um, I think we don't have enough protein or access enough protein. Plus, we're not going to sit around eating steaks and, you know, chickens and all that sort of stuff. But we do need it. We tend not to eat enough protein, yeah. I think. And, um, but then, but my main thing is making sure my financial service businesses just keeps lending money to people mm. and does that properly. And, um, you know, like you, we are employing machine learning into our app mm. about what people need to know. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff out there that people, we keep getting told, but they don't really need to know it. We need to know. We need to know. Well, then our machines should tell us what it is that we need to know about a particular person trying to borrow money to buy a house or investment portfolio, whatever it happens to be. And of course, my mentor business. I mean, I this is a business I, I really want to develop more and more and more because I want to build my audiences. Because and and to do that, I need to have interesting people like you come in on the show mm. in a business sense. And I I like learning about what you're doing. I love to learn about what people are doing. But I love to be able to parlay what you're doing to my audience so that they can get a sense of all the great stuff that's going on out there. There's so many great initiatives out there. And uh, as you said, your dad was an innovator. <laughs> you're an innovator. I want to take all those innovators' ideas, maybe even just their dreams, yeah, and actually play, play it to them. To play it to my audience and hopefully it might just spark something something yeah. in their mind or you know I asked you what's the baseline that you need to have in order to run your business you're not an engineer you're not a computer scientist but you know you understand engineering to an extent you understand computer science or coding to an extent you know what are the baselines so that someone out there might be thinking might be also a, doing a you know might be doing a PhD in um, epilepsy and might be thinking to themselves I'd like to do a product but I don't really know how I should go about it because they're yeah. an engineering thinker. Yeah. You know how engineers think. They think, <laughs> they think a certain way. Yeah. And that person might be just listening. That one person might be listening to this one podcast mm. and get a great idea and come up with a way of um, building predictive models around using machine yeah. learning around epilepsy. detecting when an epilepsy episode is mm. about to occur. Yeah. And stop people having accidents in cars and mm. because they've had an episode. Yeah. That's my big objective these days is especially with a mentor business, this podcast. Mm, to inspire. Yeah, to inspire people but also to empower them. Yeah. And that's a shit word everyone uses all the time but to actually to empower them with a bit of knowledge that someone else has done and you've done the hard yards. You know, you, you've you've done all the trial and error. I mean, you know, you're being a bit modest here. It looks like you just woke up one morning and <laughs> prepared all this. But this take has taken tens of thousands of hours of your thinking and effort to get it to where it is and it's going to take tens of thousands of your whole team's hours, all of you, to get it really streamlined in five or ten years' time. But it's a big deal. and uh, But most people don't know where to start, yeah. which is why it's important for us to show them how yeah. these things start. Mm. You know, mm. how does it start? And you and you, you funded it yourself. Like your brother borrowed money against his mortgage and you had a bit of money saved for something else you'd done. Everyone just assumes, oh, mum and dad gave him a million bucks. Nah. Your parents in Vietnam, like, you know, your dad's doing his best teaching maths and yeah. mum is as well. So mm. that inspires people. That motivates mm. people. Yeah. So that's my game. That is oh, my game. Thank you. And I, I, I've really enjoyed this discussion. It might be hopefully, you know, people listening to it didn't find it too deep and too uh, gritty. <laughs> yeah. Um, but sometimes I like to get in the weeds and yeah. sort of dig around a little bit and I really enjoyed this discussion. Thanks very much. Oh, thank you. And and from my side, you know, like just like when I started a business, there was not a lot of example 
of people that look and sound like me um, who was learning medicine and, and work on innovation. So part of the motivation for me to be here is, is hopefully inspire a medical doctor somewhere who is maybe part of their training or already practicing, who knows that, you know, in, in medicine, there's other ways of, of creating impacts, right? A lot of way affecting patients' lives. And that, that doesn't require you to put on a stethoscope and, and show up at the hospital every day. And um, I still count what I do as, um, as practicing medicine, just in a very you know, unique and scalable way. And hopefully that inspires some people as well who listen to this. I love your objective, a million patients a day. Yeah. And by the way, that's compounding. So that's a lot of people. <laughs> Recurrent, right? Recurrent. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. 